morning is found in Acts chapter 2. A passage referenced by the baptism form and also by the catechism, Lord's Day 27, that we treat this morning. God's providence, we're able to treat that Lord's Day on the same Lord's Day that we have a baptism. Acts chapter 2, we'll begin reading at verse 22. And read through the end of the chapter. This forms part of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Verse 22, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this, before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, which he hath shed shed forth this, which ye now see and hear, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That far we read in God's holy inspired word. May he bless that word to our hearts. We read that portion in connection with Lord's Day 27. Lord's Day 27 continues the teaching of the Catechism concerning the sacrament of baptism. Lord's Day 25 began that treatment of the sacraments in general. 26 dealt with the sign and seal of baptism that points to the fact that salvation is God's work. And now Lord's Day 27 gives more teaching, expands on the teaching and responds to certain errors regarding baptism. So let's read Lord's Day 27, questions and answers 72 through 74. Is then the external baptism with water the washing away of sin itself? Not at all. For the blood of Jesus Christ only and the Holy Ghost cleanse us from all sin. Why then doth the Holy Ghost call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks thus, not without great cause to wit, not only thereby to teach us that as the filth of the body is purged away by water, so our sins are removed by the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ, but especially that by this divine pledge and sign, we may, uh, he may assure us that we are spiritually cleansed from our sins as really as we are externally washed with water. 
are infants also to be baptized? Yes. For since they, as well as the adult, are included in the covenant and church of God, and since redemption from sin by the blood of Christ and the Holy Ghost, the author of faith, is promised to them no less than to the adult, they must therefore, by baptism, as a sign of the covenant, be also admitted into the Christian church and be distinguished from the children of unbelievers as was done in the Old Covenant or Testament by circumcision, instead of which baptism is instituted in the New Covenant. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, we've witnessed uh, baptism this morning. That's always a joyous occasion. It's a joy to see little Cecilia baptized and to think of other children who have been baptized here in the congregation as well. But the question arises... And that question arises because there are churches who deny that infants ought to be baptized. So the catechism asks the question, should infants also be baptized? Would we be able to defend the doctrine of baptism as we practice it in our congregations? Should infants be baptized? Question and answer 74 deals in particular with that specific question. In Acts chapter 2 that we read is one of the classic passages that also addresses infant baptism. Peter had preached his sermon A number of people were convicted by that sermon, and they had asked Peter, what shall we do? And Peter called them to repent and be baptized. Those who had expressed their faith were baptized. And then he says this in verse 39, this is the verse that the catechism refers to and also our baptism form. Verse 39 says, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The promise of the Holy Spirit that had been poured out That gift of the Holy Spirit applied to those who had expressed their faith. The promise is unto you and to your children. And the Jews that heard that 
from Peter on that day would have also been familiar with the covenant promise that's found in Genesis 17. When God made that covenant promise to Abraham, uh, Genesis 17, 7, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations to be uh, for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. The Jews would have immediately thought of that same promise. God works in the lines of generations. The promise is unto you and to your children. I want to look at the truth of the covenant sign that those who heard Peter preach would have thought of how that covenant sign was given in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. So let's look at the truth of Scripture summarized in this Lord's Day under that theme, the covenant sign in the Old and New Testament. And then under that, let's note in the first place that the Old Testament church and the New Testament church are the same church. That's connected to this controversy. Secondly, there, that truth of the salvation in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is the same salvation. The giving of that covenant sign is connected to that, being the same salvation. And lastly then, and this flows from those truths, is that both signs then have the same significance. The covenant sign in the Old and New Testament. If you ever speak to a Baptist, and they are people of God as well, wonderful people of God who are Baptists, if you ever speak to a Baptist, this is critical to the understanding of why we baptize infants. It is critical if you ever want to convince them that the practice of infant baptism is the biblical practice, it's critical to show them that the church in the Old Testament is the same church as the church in the New Testament. There are not two separate entities as if there was Old Testament Israel and Old Testament Israel were the people of God in some physical sense. And then they rejected God and rejected Jesus Christ. And so instead of that Old Testament entity, God decided now to save the New Testament church that's the way often Baptists will speak about the Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church as separate entities. 
If we're going to understand baptism, we need to understand the Old Testament Israel was the church. That Old Testament church was the church in its infancy. The New Testament church is the same church that now has grown up and is more mature. The Old Testament church had the ceremonies. They were as school children. And those ceremonies in the Old Testament, with all its sacrifices, were things to train them. But now we have the reality to which those ceremonies pointed. Now we have Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has come already. So one church. We must understand that in the first place. And if that were not true, if they were, in fact, two separate entities, then it would be difficult to argue that baptism replaces circumcision. So it's important to see that the Old Testament Israel was the Old Testament church. It was the church, the same church. And then we can come to speak of the sign of inclusion in the church, the sacrament that was given in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. It's evident. It's evident that the Old Testament people, Israel, was the church. It's evident from passages such as Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was preaching, he spoke about Moses and how Moses had predicted that there would be a prophet that God would raise up from among his brethren One like unto me, him shall ye hear. Moses, in the Old Testament church, was prophesying concerning Jesus Christ. And then Moses says, uh, or rather Stephen says about Moses, he says, this was he, Moses was the one who was in the church in the wilderness. Stephen, a member of the New Testament church, says Moses was in the church in the wilderness because Old Testament Israel was the church in that day, the same church And then connected to that, the covenant made with Abraham is the same covenant that you and I enjoy. It's not two separate covenants. It's one covenant. And we can see that by a passage, classic passage that refers to that covenant, uh, Galatians 3. Galatians 3, verse 16, in the first place, 
points to the promise to Abraham. And in that promise to Abraham, God says to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee. Who is that seed? Primarily, that seed refers to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham, the one seed. That's Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, he saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, that covenant that God made with Abraham, he says, the law which was 430 years after, 430 years after Abraham came the law, that law didn't make the covenant with Abraham null and void. That's the idea. The law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. The Apostle Paul in Galatians is saying that same covenant is still in effect today, the covenant God made with Abraham. And then later on in Galatians, same chapter, same, following after the same thoughts, verse 28, he goes on to show that believers, believers today, are Abraham's seed. Number one, Christ is the seed, the one seed, but then all who are in Christ are also the seed of Abraham. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, that is to say, if you belong to Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So there, there are not two churches, two separate entities in the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are not two separate covenants, one made with Abraham and now a totally separate covenant in Jesus Christ. No, it's the same covenant and the same church. That's what the catechism is referring to. In question and answer 74, are infants also to be baptized? Yes, for since they, as well as the adult, are included 
in the covenant and church of God. We have to understand that. There is only one covenant. In the Old and New Testament, there's only one church. Now we can start talking about the sign of the covenant. Once you understand there is one church, one covenant, now talk about the sign of the covenant when you have established that truth. And when you look at the Old Testament, you find that Whenever one wanted to come and keep the Passover, one came to Israel, a stranger came into Israel and wanted to participate in the Passover. That is, they wanted to worship the same God with the children of Israel. When they wanted to worship the same God, before they could partake of the Passover they must first be circumcised. They must receive the sign of the covenant in order to join in with Israel in their worship of Jehovah. Not only that, and that you could find in Exodus 12, Exodus 12, verse 48, God commanded them, Some stranger comes in, let him be circumcised. And more importantly for us today, as we speak of this topic of infant baptism, not only must that person who expressed their faith be circumcised, but also all his male children they must also receive the sign of the covenant. And that's significant. Exodus 12 speaks of that. But then Genesis 17. After God commanded Abraham to be circumcised, Abraham already was a believing uh, saint, But then God commands Abraham also to circumcise the males in his house. Genesis 17, verse 12, And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generations, he that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. That's what they did in the church, the church in the Old Testament. They gave the sign of the covenant, not just to those who expressed their faith as adults, the strangers who came in, but also to their infants, eight days old, the male infants among them. What do we find in the New Testament church? what we would expect to find. When someone comes from the outside, as was recorded in Acts chapter 2, someone believed the gospel and wanted to join the church, they were called to be baptized. 
but also their children. And so you find multiple examples, time and time again, when there was one who came to faith, they were baptized and their household. And now the difference in the New Testament is that there is now neither male nor female. All the infants now are baptized. Whereas in the Old Testament, only the males were circumcised. But the same principle. We have an example, just one example, but there are many. One example in Acts 16, verse 14, and following a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized... And her household, not the structure, of course, not the house, but her household, the children that were in her house were baptized. When God's people in the Old Testament, when they joined the church, or when someone joined the church in the New Testament, they received the sign of the covenant and also their children. And it must mean then, and this flows logically, that the church in the Old Testament experienced the same salvation that you and I experience today. It's the same salvation the Jews were not saved by offering sacrifices, thousands and thousands of sacrifices. That's not what saved them. The Jews were not saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. The Jews were saved by the same blood of Jesus Christ that you and I are saved by. The only difference between us in the New Testament and the saints in the Old Testament is that they looked forward to the Lamb of God by their sacrifices. They were looking forward to the shedding of that blood on the cross that would blot out their sins. But we in the New Testament look back at that same sacrifice. It's the same salvation, the same blood of Jesus Christ, and then also purchased by that blood is the same inheritance. When God came to Abraham and promised to Abraham an everlasting possession, Abraham understood that God was not speaking of some physical land. Abraham, Hebrews tells us, looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. He looked for a city that had foundations, 
not an earthly, temporary city, but he looked for the glory that he would receive in heaven. That was the inheritance that Abraham looked for, and that's the same inheritance that you and I look forward to receiving. The same salvation. And now we come back again to the sign. When Abraham received that promise of God, when God promised to Abraham, I will give you that everlasting possession. I will give you salvation. And immediately after promising that salvation to Abraham, God says to Abraham, Now, give the sign of the covenant. Not only to yourself, not only must you yourself be circumcised, but the males in your household. That's Genesis 17, verse 8. I will give thee, there's the promise, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And then he says, the same chapter, in the same, on the same occasion, he says, Genesis 17, verse 10, This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. So Abraham believed first. Then he was circumcised. But now God also said, circumcise the infants in your household. How do we do it today if someone comes from outside the church, someone believes, then they are baptized, and also their children? Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. Maybe the question arises, and Baptists might raise this question, how can you baptize them, give them the sign of the covenant, when you very well know that not every single child that is born and every single child that is baptized is going to be saved. God doesn't guarantee that every, every single one of our children are going to be saved. And so the Baptist says, why do you give the sign of the covenant then? Well, that was also the case in the Old Testament. The sign of the covenant was given to all the males in the household, not only to Isaac, who was a seed of the promise, but the sign was also given to an Ishmael. The sign was given to the children of Isaac, not only to Jacob, but also to Esau. The sign of the covenant 
we must understand, did not guarantee that all those who received the sign would be saved. Why did God command that they give the sign then? And the reason is this. Number one, God commanded the sign because it showed this is the way God works. God works normally in the lines of generations. Normally, he gathers his church. He gives faith to parents and gathers his church from among the children of the congregation. God works in the lines of generations. That was the case. You can see that in the Old Testament. Believers were born in the lines of generations, but also some were brought in from outside. They were grafted into the church. And that's the way God works today. God continues to work in the lines of generations. We baptize infants because God works among the elect of our infants so that they also enjoy salvation. Even from the youngest years, we don't know what our children understand, but I always rejoice when children in the congregation, sometimes you can tell they're watching the minister when he gives the benediction. Sometimes children will see that. They're paying attention. And they know when the minister says amen, because even they are listening to the prayers. God works even in the youngest children. And that's what the catechism expresses too. In question and answer 74 again, it says, since redemption from sin by the blood of Christ and the Holy Ghost, the author of faith, is promised to them no less than to the adult. They must therefore, by baptism, as a sign of the covenant, be also admitted into the Christian church. Even the youngest children, even children in the womb, can have the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit, leapt for joy. And there's other examples as well. David speaks of believing from his youth. God works among our children, even the youngest ones. Salvation is promised to our children. That's what the apostle says. The promise is unto you and to your children. 
not all the children, not every single one head for head, but he qualifies that. Promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, that is, there's others outside who will come in. Who among them? Who among our children? Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. the elect among them, God will call. And the promise is unto all the elect. We baptize our children because God also saves our elect children, even in their youngest years. And then it flows too. There's one church in the Old and New Testaments. There is the same salvation in the Old and New Testament. And then it makes sense that the sign of the covenant has the same significance. When you look at the significance of circumcision in the Old Testament and baptism in the New Testament, they mean essentially the same thing which is what we would expect. There is a difference now that we use a covenant sign that no longer involves the shedding of blood. Christ's blood has been shed. There is no more shedding of blood. But otherwise, they have the same spiritual significance. Some have tried to deny that. And a Baptist might say, circumcision for the Old Testament Israel simply was a sign given that said they were members of the nation of Israel. And that's all it meant. It was simply an outward sign that said you're members of this nation. Baptism, they will acknowledge. The Baptists will say, yes, that's a spiritual sign, but not circumcision. But it's not that hard to find in Scripture that shows that circumcision also has a spiritual significance. What is that significance? What's the significance of the sign of circumcision. The significance is that it was a sign that pointed to the righteousness which is by faith. That's what the sign pointed to. Romans 4, verse 11. New Testament passage. Speaking about that Old Testament sign says this about Abraham, Romans 4, 11. He received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised. That sign of circumcision pointed to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, 
the righteousness which is by faith. That's what the Bible says about the significance of circumcision. It's a spiritual sign. And that's why all those who wanted to join the Old Testament church, who wanted to observe the Passover feast, that feast that pointed forward to the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, if they wanted to partake of that feast, they had to be circumcised with the sign of the righteousness which is by faith. That's the Old Testament significance. Circumcision points to that righteousness. In addition, that sign pointed to the fact that salvation is God's work. Circumcision taught the people that they themselves were not able to cleanse themselves from pollution, but God had to cut away the filth that was inherited, the filth of the flesh. And that filth must be cut away through the shedding of blood. You see how that pointed forward to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Salvation is God's work. And what does baptism point to? The same spiritual reality. We ourselves cannot cleanse ourselves from sin. We need the blood of Jesus Christ to be shed. And we need the Spirit of Christ to apply to us our salvation. We need the Spirit of Christ to cleanse us. Baptism points to the same righteousness which is by faith. The same significance. Circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism in the New Testament point to the fact that you and I need the blood and spirit of Christ to cleanse us. Little Cecilia needs the blood and spirit of Christ to cleanse her. All of our children need the blood and spirit of Christ to cleanse us. And God promises that cleansing to us and our elect children. May he give us eyes to see that working and to rejoice that he does work in the lines of generations. And may he be pleased to gather his church from among our children. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we give thee thanks for the sacrament of baptism. We give thee thanks that we were able to witness that sacrament this morning. We give thee thanks for the truth 
to which it points, we pray that thou wouldst save our children, save all thine elect. We desire that all of our children would be elect of thine. Give us grace as parents to train and instruct them in thy ways. Give grace in the church. And may that instruction also be applied to our children, that they might grow in their knowledge and in their love of thee, even from their youngest years. We pray also for the forgiveness of our sins, where we fall short and have fallen short, Forgive us and lead us by thy spirit. Cleanse us, we pray. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.